we're live. We're here. Well done. Great and mighty. <laughs> Julia Robbins. Hey. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Really good. Really good. I wanted to get you on because we had we originally met a couple of weeks ago or three weeks ago. When we when we first had that night where we yeah. yeah, about three weeks ago. Yeah, where you did that amazing performance. <laughs> it was literally, I was blown I away. Feel like, I feel like, with, like everybody with, was just a little bit drunk and that made it better. <laughs> I, think I no don't one think could so. Really, I think it was that. I don't think, you, I think you're cutting yourself short. And uh, the last dinner party we were at, you, you definitely were, to me, mm-hmm. same. It was great. Great. Because well, I can't sing. I was um, going to say, the dinner party, you might have eaten a little bit more, but you still everywhere <laughs> quite well um, watered. Which was amazing so cooking, by the way. Thank you. I do love cooking. So, and But me, I just can't sing, dude. I'm, I'm really... Uh, I got that, like, monotone voice. But you can work with that. Like, listen to, like, Tom Waits. Like, you, can, you can make that work. Yeah, but I'm, I'm in an era of listening to little pump out here. There's no, like, is that music still alive? Is there like a new coming through artist that still sounds like Tom Waits? Or are we just in this era of... <laughs> Look, it depends on genre and what you're listening to. Like, yeah. Obviously, there's people doing things in all different genres and all different ways. And it's mm. not going to be the same. And I think that, you know, the majority of the mainstream music we consume is genuinely... like one sort of area is that very mm. commercialized very like highly pr- produced things yeah. and then you know if you go to you know small bars around town mm. there are still like different artists doing different things you know different media like you know i know we were listening on spotify before and you go through all the genres and there's definitely like you know there is things coming through and you start to pick things up yeah but i do think that a lot if you if you're consuming one type of music you're going to get one type of idea of what a voice sounds like and yes. what it needs to do yes and that's very different to when you're you know creating your own music or going out and listening to like a wide variety of things you start to notice that there's a lot of variation mm. and that you can have a lot of variation in a very small space where everybody's listening to those sorts of things and that's when you get amazing collaboration work happening as well do you reckon we we just fed that though like do you reckon like just like I mean, we're fed tragedy in the world like the news is is like major label have, have they sort of got a grasp on like what you get pushed or do you reckon people live in a bubble and I'm just living in a wrong bubble? <laughs> uh, I, I don't think there's – I think everybody – we definitely do live in our bubbles. I think that this has been exaggerated even more by social media, yeah. which controls even the news that we receive. Yeah. It's all tailored to our views. So we start to see things as though this is what they are. But I would also argue that, yeah, of course it's it's produced and created and fed to us like all culture is. Like mm. we, you know, unless you actively seek out things and you you diverge from stuff, like majority of mainstream media, mainstream culture, it is, it's, it's, it's purposely produced and commodified in order to, you know, maximize profits, um, ensure, you know, value systems and ideas and beliefs are embedded in people's understanding of how their world works. Right. And that's, you know, just straight up Gramsci. And... <laughs> True. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like, walking you into yeah. that and you don't want me to go there, but I'm going there. You, you, you started it. If you hadn't a straight up said, oh, is all this stuff produced and fed to us? It's like, well, you've just, thank you. Cause uh, you've just walked in. I like it. I like <laughs> it. And I want to get, I want to get into um, power politics and everything mm. um, to do uh, as deep as we can. 
uh, into where it all starts in terms of, of Australia as well. Mm. And if we're sort of, it, we can we can go whatever direction. But yeah. I just wanted uh, we'll get to that. But I just want to know I'm not jumping ahead. you're I swear, singing. I swear. Yeah. Where did it start? Because I was amazed, dude. Okay, like jazz yeah. voice in mm. terms of jazz voice. It, one of my favorite singers, um, female singers of all time, mm. is Amy Winehouse. Mm. Uh, she's absolutely. Oh, she's phenomenal. Like she amazing. is. I probably argue that she is for our generation probably the greatest. Like yeah. singer and interpreter that we will have. Like there is amazing. But this is the thing too: is that we all know Amy. Yeah. Um, Amy is exceptional. There is so many artists doing like similar things, but obviously in their own style. Mm-hmm. Um, all over. And mm. we don't necessarily see them all. And that's the thing that I think is is really great about, you know, going out and supporting local live music is yeah. that you start to find people that you wouldn't, you know, they're not going to be like Fed the commercial to, yeah. top charts. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. you're going to get something out of it that's amazing. And, yeah, so Amy is fantastic. I think if you like Amy, um, there's like a lot of people you can go to. Like obviously she got a lot of like her stuff and later albums was very, you know, Motown influenced. You had like a yeah. lot of the Supremes is huge influence on a lot of her work there. But I also think if you go back and you wanted to like, you know, strip back water when she was doing her jazz and jazz orchestra stuff, if you want to listen to a musician who is phenomenal in both, I would say, emotional expression and technical perfection, mm-hmm. you can't go past Sarah Vaughan. Sarah Vaughan. Sarah Vaughan. She okay. is... The, like for me, like, uh, so Ella Fitzgerald, obviously renowned, one yep. of the greatest yep. singers. Yep. Um, she has that beautiful, bright, technical, very like melodic, but she does, she, she does do like everything beautifully. I'm not in any way criticizing her, but mm-hmm. there's something about the way I think Sarah Vaughan merges the best of Ella and the best of Billy, but has right. this precision in everything she does that if you listen to that, it is just phenomenal because it's it's precise but it's and technical but it's not um what's the word uh what's the word when something it's 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 not um sterile you know it's not it doesn't feel like it's you know sometimes you listen to like something that's technically perfect but it doesn't feel like it has a soul behind it yeah and it's just that you know people like knocking off and like being really accurate Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. not expressing like yeah. Sarah is one of the you few people the who I think you can through. do has that exact accuracy with absolute like emotional control and and depth that you just it's very hard to find in things anymore. Yeah. Like she's just my favorite of all time. It's is just, she still alive? Amazing. Uh no. I think Oof. it was when did she pass away? I think it was 2008. Yeah. yeah. No, that was yeah. Oh, See, hey, hey, straight on hey, to it. Yeah, well we, we actually had this conversation last night. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I don't think that was me. I think that was Jordan. Really? Yeah, because we were all talking about like, oh, I'd love to go. It was like, oh, we'll go back in time to 2008. I'm like, mm, maybe we should go back to like when she was at like her wellest, <laughs> not when she was about to die. <laughs> like, <laughs> Let's listen to her when she's about to die. <laughs> now we're just talking about, this is going to, did we talk about Mae West last night too as well? That whole story. Oh, God. Let's, 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 let's end that section now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it, the, so did two thousand and eight. When did Amy Winehouse pass? Two thousand and eleven. Yeah, I was in London. It was really sad. You're in London. Yeah. What was that like? Um, That's every, like it was. It was kind of. Like, been, was that sadness? Like, did people go to the streets and everything? I think. Well, definitely out in so Camden, bad. there was because um, that's where she lived. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, there yeah, was yeah. a lot of people. I think. Um, it, it was. It was quite a, an almost surreal thing because I think in many ways people thought she was getting better. 
like right. in terms of like you know she was looking after her health a little bit more and it was just she she started to do some things and it was just it was awful and i remember um do you believe in a conspiracy that she was killed similar to michael jackson's conspiracy where he came out and he he I don't, owned mm. his masters from sony and he bought he started owning prince's masters i think yeah, he bought he bought the he Beatles, bought the Beatles backlog, yeah. and as soon as those deals went through, Michael mm. Jackson died, and there's this whole conspiracy around that. Do mm. you do you reckon it's the same as Amy, or now you reckon she just passed? I reckon she had a serious problem with alcohol and, and yeah, you know, drugs. Well, yeah, and I also just think like you know she she put her body through a lot for someone very young mm. and she dealt with a lot of things. And I think that, you know, sometimes when, and you gotta remember she was working at a very like, uh, very tough, very rigorous industry, which is exhausting mm-hmm. in and of itself. But the emotional, like, you know, the reason we love her is that emotional output that she has in her music. And that takes a mental toll. Like you are being incredibly vulnerable all the time and it's laid out and then you're in the cameras and people are following you home and you just you never get that, that. Peace and of I think mind. I think yeah and I, I think that you know that that can take like outside of, of, of drugs and alcohol I think the the physical toll of the emotional like levels that are like and and lack of privacy that's thrown on you like yeah it, I mean honestly like the fact that Keith Richards is still alive is fucking insane if you think yeah. about it. Like, you know, if you just want to talk about that, like mm-hmm. in terms of like, you know, drug abuse, alcohol, etc. Like there are a lot of people that are still alive who've done those things. And I think it's the, the fact she was also so young when she started this and when she became famous. Like she was playing with some of the greatest like jazz musicians in the world at like 14. How old was she when she died? 27, 27, 27 club. really? Yeah. Fuck, she was young, dude. Yeah, she was young. Yeah, and that's the thing is, that, and but there's a, like think about the, all the like twenty seven club. It's a huge number of people. Like yeah, got apparently yeah, Kurt I heard Kurt that. Bain, um, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Jimi Hendrix, Joplin. Oh, love Janis. That's a what? Yeah, people. Yeah, really? there's, there's like you can buy t shirts of the twenty seven club. It's got all of like you know the dates of everybody. Is, is, that's that's, is that similar to like the number forty two? Is that a thing? You know, that's the answer to everything. Oh. Oh, we're going. That's, that's from a book, though. Yeah, that's, yeah, that is from a book, and then people yeah, just build upon it. Yeah, Hitchhiker's Guide. Yeah, that's and the then one. all the following. Oh, yeah, Douglas Adams, great writer. I actually I was watching um, the latest because uh, uh, m- my thing I love comedy, mm. stand up comedy, and. Um, MMA. That's the realm that I stick in, which is random, I know. No, but I was know. watching I was watching Seinfeld. Uh he he's got that show uh comedians oh, yeah, in a driving car. Driving in cars with driving comedians. Driving in cars with comedians getting coffee. Yeah. Something like that. Whatever it's called. What's it called? Comedians in cars getting coffee. Comedians there we go. Cars getting coffee. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. <laughs> well, um, always, always covering it. But um so he, he had Seth Rogen on and he was mm. um they touched on that topic. He was saying that there's you can be a great actor mm. but not be a great celebrity and you can be in vice versa. You can be a great celebrity and not so great actor and but he I was saying that the two is a mm. different art. So it's like Amy Winehouse, she was a great artist mm. but obviously because of the passing, mm. the celebrity took the toll. I think there's definitely an element of that in there. I think it's how you're hounded, age you are when you get into it, 
Mm. Um, whether you have, I think, funnily enough, I think actors can sometimes have an easier go of it because they're performing a different character. And often, like, you know, if you look at actors True. when they're in different films, like, you don't recognise them. They do have that, you know, the makeup, the transformative qualities that, you know, even, like, I, you know, if Benedict Cumberbatch... Well, was, Ke- uh, Cumberbatch, is that his name? Cumberbatch, yeah. Cumberbatch, yeah. I always go to call him, like, a sea cucumber or something. Oh, <laughs> eggs. <laughs> eggs Benedict. Eggs Benedict, that works too. Well, um, Thingy didn't have that. Uh, oh, if he God. walked down the street, I though, like, my point is, is that, that I'm you forgetting his name. I just need to get his name. Play Joker, the greatest Australian... Oh, Heath Ledger. Uh, Heath Ledger, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So, Heath Ledger... Mm-hmm. He was an actor that yeah, took well, that role and that killed is, him. Well, uh, I mean, I, I don't think the... Yeah. Is yeah. it? Yeah. I think it's... Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but I also just think that, you know, on that, it's it's the emotional toll of the type of work you do. Mm-hmm. So well, that's what I Heath figured, Ledger was known for being like an actor who did very, very like intense deep. emotional things, which means that they, you know, obviously generally, uh, depending on, you know, your, you know, acting theory bases, whether you do like, you know, Method or Stanislavski, mm-hmm. that's Method, and or like Laban, um, Jung, all of those like characters, like development things. Mm-hmm. You've got a real um, capacity to drain your own self mm. and when you're very good at I, I think if you look at the actors who are exceptional um performing and just reeling you in with believing that they are the embodiment of whichever character like we saw with Heath Ledger as a joker mm. you know that would take such a huge toll, toll on mm. you and if your job is doing that all the time with all different characters and you're constantly doing that like that you don't need to be in the camera for that to exhaust you and Mm -hmm. also to kind of play on your mind of like you know well where where does the line begin and end Mm -hmm. and like that that's a that's another thing and that's why i think so many um like people in in performances industries so acting music even like you know comedy it's the the Mm. long line of like comedians with depression and yeah it's it's that um it's very very raw with people all the time. Yeah. And we don't have the defences that other people kind of have in their work. Yeah. Um, and so you basically kind of imagine being emotionally on all the time for a living. That would be draining as fuck. So I think that's a big element to it as well. Did did Heath... Uh, I heard he, he, for that particular role, he actually put himself... Fact check this, please. He, he he put himself in a uh, crazy asylum, like a padded room, and stayed in there to get into the character of the I Joker. I mean, it's possible. I have no idea. I don't, that is I insane. Don't, I don't but really know that much just about con- Heath Ledger or this character. I, I, pages of journals that he was writing mm. all the time. It was almost like a magic ritual. It's like he invoked the spirit mm. of the Joker. I mean, a lot of, yeah, that's like, I know Sean Penn's known for like getting into character Doing and staying the same, in character yeah. for the entire duration. Like, I think it was Fast Times at Ridgemont High. He was just like mm. stoned all the time, refused to like get out of character. I mean, I, I to be honest, like, I find that a little bit annoying. It's like, either you know your character or you don't. Like, if you, if you can't switch off, like, that's a little weird. Yeah. Like, why would you want to be like this? Like, is it, is it, is it greatness <laughs> though? Or like, <laughs> I don't think they heard that. Anyway, it's fine. Is um is that like greatness though? Because I heard Will Smith does the same thing and like. Well, I don't. I don't 
He did it with his kid, apparently. On um, he had that movie uh, Pursuit of Happiness. Pursuit of which is an uh, like. T- do you but, like that movie? I, I think mean, it's amazing. It's a great film. Yeah. Uh, have it hit me in the feels. I think yeah, that's the I, I only think, movie I think the that's really I have with hit that, me in I think, the feels. Yeah, I think the problem I have with that film, and obviously, like, it's based on a true story, and it was a beautiful film, and it was done really well. Yeah. Um, there's some great imagery in that where the kids got like the Captain America toy and they like, drop it, and like, I remember watching that scene, just being like, oh, that's fucking devastating. Like watching this child like running mm. as they try to get to the shelter so they have somewhere safe to sleep, drops his toy and they can't go back for it. It's the only thing he has. And I just remember watching that, and I thought it was so symbolic that they used the Captain America thing. Yeah. In that place, but the problem. I have with it is it plays up so much of this sort of like false like the fallacy of the American dream Mm. the idea that if you work hard enough you can make it it's like Mm. it's really not Not true real for 90% of the population like you have to like you know not everyone can make it exactly like you know they're not like you know they're the exception that prove the rule rather yeah. than the rule. Yeah, 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 right. Like, right. And then also it has this moralistic idea that if you don't succeed or if you do fall on hard times and you don't get out of them and you, you can't, you know, build your way up or whatever, that you're lazy or you're a failure or you've uh, rather than acknowledging Being the realistic fact. Well, and the, acknowledging the fact that there are, there are systems in place that mm. genuinely prevent a lot of people from being able to access, you know, mm. what they need to succeed yes. um, uh, and from day one, you know, where, who you're born, where you're mm-hmm. born in the world, mm-hmm. who you're born to, so you, social ex- demographics, etc., has mm-hmm. more of an impact than any other um, sort of aspect of your life. Yep. You could be the smartest person in the world, but if you're born in a dirt poor family, in a like poor country, you're you yeah. just, you, there's no way that you could feasibly say that that person has reasonable amount of access to resources that would allow them to achieve what they are capable of. A hundred percent. Yep. And I just think that so much of what we talk about when we talk about the success stories is we look at saying, Oh look, they overcame it. And I was like, yes, they did. And that's fantastic. But it's not evidence that the system works. Yes. The fact that we are talking about these people as overcoming something points out that the system is clearly set for people to fail. That's an interesting point because so would would you say that movies like that mm. and uh, things like that mm. that sort of push that narrative that everyone can sort of everyone gets a ribbon mm. so to speak. I mean, I don't think it's a everyone gets a ribbon thing. It's not it's not it's not the whole like argument of like oh there are no participation reward uh, awards in life like yeah. blah 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 you know yeah true but true, it's, it's that, true that's a very sort of like like a rhetoric that's very strong in america at the moment yeah um and i just don't Do you feel like that brings depression to other people if they were more realistic about everything um yeah. do you feel do you feel like it, well, like it is you, with the, the movies like they've got to be fun like they, they they've got to be engaging like we're talking still about you know, something that has to be engaging. But I do I do think that they fall along the line of essentially, you know, as, as propaganda. Well as, so, yeah, propaganda. They well they they are. They're a they're a form. <laughs> we got key cards. <laughs> I but love like, it. But this is the thing, is that like uh, everything we consume is in one way or another trying to sell us something, be it an mm-hmm. idea, um, be it a product, be it a way of life. Um, it's all kind of forms of propaganda. And it and I would argue that the majority of the things that we consume are designed to reinstate and re-solidify values that protect those in power. Right. So things like ensuring that people 
are more focused on what you have than I don't have and mm-hmm. arguing with you rather than going, hang on a minute, there's somebody who's earning over $50 million a year mm-hmm. who pays all tax on that mm-hmm. and that if we tax them adequately, we could provide like the best schools yep. for free for every child in the country. And it, it is, so you've you've written a thesis to do with uh, power and how that comes out. Do you want to just express yeah. that? Because I so, feel like yeah, that, that's, yeah, yeah. that's perfect. It's kind of, yeah. What So I finished, just recently finished my honours thesis. I looked at how uh, institutions of power are embedded in American popular culture using mm-hmm. comic books as my example. So okay. when you brought up Pursuit of Happiness and the whole Captain America thing there, I remember that, that stuck in my head so much when I started doing the thesis about what that represented and the fact that, you know, Captain America is the embodiment of the American dream and the ideal American as well. Mm-hmm. And that that ideal American is a, you know, tall, attractive, strong, mm-hmm. masculine white man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it was Jack Kirby um, and Stanley and all that, the early stages of Marvel. And yeah, it was, well, he was, he was. Which, that, I, which is that. black now. Did you see the last um, uh, Avengers? Yeah, yeah. But like he's been, he's been, yeah, Sam Wilson has been Captain America. In which the books I feel as well. like goes more directly with what you're saying. It's well, like the, d- the strong embodiment mm. of what an American should be and mm. now putting multiculturalism on top of that. Now, they haven't done it with the films yet because they're just just made him Captain America, Mm -hmm. which I'm really interested to see how they do it because I think in the comics didn't do a great job. I mean, within the first three issues of being Captain America, uh, Sam Wilson's turned into a wolf. Wait, what? Yeah. Well, he doesn't become a werewolf. He just gets kind of like transformed. Hold on a minute. Hold on. You're saying... Captain America becomes a werewolf? No, they, uh, what do they call them? They call them like um, uh, Catwolf. Catwolf. Cat. Catwolf. Cat. 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 Um, Why was he in Twilight? Or, What's going on here? Well, he's not a werewolf. He's just, uh, they're, they're doing experiments um, on, uh, you know, uh, low SES people to kind of transform them into human-animal hybrids. Um, uh, majority like of the people being, yeah, and like the majority of people being, you know, experimented on, uh, mm-hmm. you know, poor people of color in America. Yep. Uh, I think it's, I'm trying to remember if it's in, based in Texas in that first um, story arc. Um, there's a lot of stuff about, you know, border and the crossing. And I think it, this only came out a couple of years ago. Um, I believe it was 2016 during the Secret Empire second um, run. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at this point in time, like they, they just they they treated Sam Wilson as Captain America like shit. Mm-hmm. He was not. It was it was like basically like not my Captain America was one of like the taglines of the opening books. Yeah, and the the vitriol um, was huge. Like not by the readers of the content, but in the actual books. Mm-hmm. And he's there's a great um, scene at the end of uh, the first story arc again. Guy is still a wolf. Like first three episodes and uh, three issues um, yeah. of his story where he becomes Captain America gets turned into a wolf remains that for like the next six. He's yeah, I'm not joking. By the end, like it's like yeah, it takes to the end of like the first six issues for him to not be a wolf again. But like, what's 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 the what's the meaning behind that? Like, why? Well, like, well, 
you know, that was part of the storyline and, you know, could go into the details of just how it fit with the story. Uh-huh. But, you know, you've also got to look at the long history of, you know, the uh, dehumanisation of people of colour in propaganda mm-hmm. features, not just in America, but, you know, in general in the, you know, Western world and, and through, you know, justifications of colonisation, uh, well, invasion, but, you know, colonisation and empire and expansion. So run run me run me through um, how the... Um, how, how in... How the... Th- like, because you, you, you did a full thesis on it. Yeah. Um, run me through how, how you expressed that because well, I find I, it quite yeah. interesting. Well, I, I basically broke up. So I used um, a sort of a broad framework um, based on the um, Italian... A socialist, political economist, um, theorist, philosopher. He's everything. Um, Antonio Gramsci, mm-hmm. um, who was amazing. Go read his stuff. It's very difficult to read in parts, um, the prison notebooks, but a lot of the stuff based on his work is really interesting, really engaging. And that's the idea of cultural hegemony. And that was the Sorry, crux cultural. of my thesis. Cultural hegemony. So it's the idea that culture is created for people by those in power and sometimes not, but that its main role is to ensure that systems of power are maintained and stabilised and reinforced. Okay. And I broke my thesis up saying that those systems of power um, in America are patriarchy, capitalism and white supremacy. Mm -hmm. And that they're the three core values that are used and embedded in American culture to like not just, you know, reinforce power in the in the states but also to ensure that people feel like stay in their place right and it's this idea that if you if you focus in on separating and dividing groups of people um based on race or class or gender um then what you're able to do is have them fighting with each other and not looking at where the issues are actually coming from like immigrants coming into a country isn't going to make people lose jobs. The fact that there's somebody who is pocketing, you know, $15 million a year and paying their like lowest wage staff, not at a living wage. That's the person who's screwing you over. Not mm-hmm. the person who's trying to run across the border to get medicine. Yeah. 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 yeah or, yeah. you know, an opportunity that they don't have elsewhere because the CIA has system, like, well, it sounds a bit conspiratorial, but you know, mm-hmm. essentially foreign influences on governments and control, especially through things like the IMF and the way that they control aid. Um, you can only get it if you follow certain economic policies, policies that often are really detrimental to an economy that isn't built up yet. I mm. mean, we forget that, you know, Britain, most of Western Europe, America, Australia, we had protected economies while we built our infrastructure, while we built our society. And we didn't have to open things up. We were able to own um, control um, our resources mm. and you know extract resources from other countries because we don't let them have those protections when they're starting up. So a mm. lot of countries that are, end up in huge amounts of debt um, aren't allowed to own their natu- like you no know, natural resources or something. They have to uh, marketize them immediately, despite the fact that that can slow progress, lower um, lower wages, and when you already have a, a country that maybe hasn't had you know the most uh, wealth because it's been extracted by France, Belgium, England, mm-hmm. US, whatever. It's very difficult for them to then build up a developed economy when they're essentially made like at the mercy of foreign corporations that they've had to open up their 
industries too, way before they have the capacity to bargain. Keeps wages down, keeps education levels down, um, and it, it, it winds back a whole bunch of things. So like when, like, you know, I know a lot of people always talk about like, isn't it great, you know, we have like pride, we're so progressive, like the West is all these like histories. We forget that we have all of these things and we have this leap forward in many ways um, off other places because we have extracted you know, all the resources and materials out of other countries and not had to pay for them. Mm. And then we have sold those products back to people and we have insisted that they take on policies that we never had to use that built up our economy in the first place. Right. And it like, do you feel like it, it's, it's, this is definitely a touchy subject and but I'll I'll just well, <laughs> I don't I, think it's touchy. I no, think no, no, it's, not I think that, it's no. Just like, I'm yeah. not talking about that. What you just oh, okay. said, You're that I, I agree. Mm. Well, what I'm what I'm about to say, I think, is a touchy subject. Is that do you because this splitting up of everything gains power? Do you mm. feel like right now we have we're very much where mm. there's how many uh, uh, gender uh, do we have? True. There's how many? No, like, how do like, I? I don't. That's why it's a touchy subject. I don't even know how to ask okay, the so, question. So I guess, I guess, what you're trying to say is like, how do you think that you know the developments around you know uh, gender theory and like gender fluidity and, and the does that, that hold power? If you if you say well, that this, uh, look, this there's there's different groups that think different things. Uh-huh. Um, of course, you have you know what is uh, highly criticized and you know controversial mm-hmm. would be um, a, a lot of radical feminists believe that. Um, looking at gender fluidity um, mm-hmm. and having that uh, and gender theory and make it all very um, flowing. Yeah. I'm not really sure. Like I'm not a gender theorist. Yep. Um, but uh, that that um, detracts from sex discrimination and mm-hmm. the fact that women's, cis women's oppression comes from the fact that they are female bodied. And right. that trying to say that gender isn't based on um, physical characteristics or whatever um and genetics or sex Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um takes away um and that it's the same that it's it's a very similar criticism of um i remember somebody talking about um rachel delazelle and the whole um transracial so i find that a really interesting so they're uh, not they're not the same and i'm not trying to equate them because yeah of course but i'm just what i'm trying to say is that a lot of the criticisms of rachel delazelle was that you can't be transracial because you don't have the intergenerational um you know, consequences, the effects, you can, you can, if you can switch it on and off, mm-hmm. then you're protected from the consequences that come from uh, being of one race, mm-hmm. ethnicity or another. Um, but, and then there are like, the Radfam argument is that that's the same with gender. I don't really have an opinion on that. Um, for me, I think that that's a kind of it's very like the way we're talking about it is still very um undeveloped yeah it's we're doing it in very very broad stroke terms i think it's going to come like it's it will be explored more as more time comes on but i also think speaking to people who experience that matters a lot more yeah than just kind of arguing like oh is it okay is it not it's like well let's let's discuss it like let's discuss it with people who actually experience this like you know the like it's it's the same with anything that comes from like i i am a structuralist i don't believe in identity politics i think it's Mm -hmm. really detrimental um Mm -hmm. i think we need to look at how institutions 
affect people and how they maintain power rather than who has power Mm -hmm. um in terms of at that level i mean we all like we can acknowledge that like you can say oh well this person has more power than me and da 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 and like the whole total pole of oppression stuff and it just it doesn't contribute to effectively changing people's circumstances yeah um however would those conversations obviously need to be had because we need to hear different voices which we don't get in our mainstream media the way we consume things we don't have a diversity of you know uh backgrounds uh or genders and those those groups are the ones who should be able to speak about that yes and that's not me (laughs) so i completely agree i completely agree for me like when i did look at um uh gender in my thesis so i did have a section on patriarchy which kind of looked at women and gender yeah i was i was focusing well a comic books tend to be predominantly um cisgendered Mm-hmm. There are a few characters. It's got the same issues that um, a lot of film and TV has um, with, you know, uh, queer community. So the LGBTIQ plus, um, I've probably missed A, I'm sorry, um, communities not getting represented. And when they do, they get killed off quickly. They get beaten up. And things happen with, with women a lot. Yep. The amount of like female superheroes who are raped or have their powers stripped from them or murdered or girlfriends of, or have you know, to look things. in a certain yeah, way. Like they, 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 like well, like short, the, let's, let's not even go into the, the, the hypersexualization of these yes. characters, um, which is huge. And as it's become, it's one of the things that um, came out when the comics code authority kind of collapsed and the comics code no longer existed. Wait, elaborate on okay, the comics so the code. Comics code I'm, was, I'm not yeah, familiar yeah, with it. Little, little brief comic book history. <laughs> How to be a comic book nerd. Um, <laughs> I love it. Comic book history 101. Uh, so if we start off a lot of the, the American comic books, there are very different things. You've got European comics, uh, graphic novels. Is there Australian comics? Books? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there? Yeah. Okay. You, like, but they're, they're not from the major publishing houses. You've got the three big, the three big publishers of what we consider comic books. Okay. Um, uh, Marvel, DC, and now Image, which is like uh, creator-owned content, which has not got the whole... They don't tend to have the universe. It's like YouTube. Yeah, yeah. It's it's But they comic pay book. them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Zing. Take that, demonetized. YouTube. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry. You just, you just, you just had your monetized <laughs> off. You're, you're gone. gone. <laughs> no, ra- no ad revenue for you now. Come at me. Yeah, um, yeah. Look, it makes me laugh because like when I started writing the seasons, I'm like, yeah, this is great. I can learn all this stuff and I can do all this stuff with comics and maybe I can get a job with Marvel. I'm like, Marvel will hate me. They can, <laughs> they can never read this thesis. <laughs> I'm, I'm screwed. I'll never work. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, please hire me. <laughs> I need a job. So how do you... Uh, <laughs> So which which are oh, well like it's the same issues. I I did focus on the the two major publishing houses and mm. um, so Image was a breakaway. It was a bunch of people who created their own um, characters. I think the big from memory, you can fact check this for me. Mm-hmm. Um, their big sort of like first major character was Spawn, who is essentially right. likes has the powers of Superman. Is he the but first every time, black superhero? No, he no. Um, yeah, Rob Layfield's um, Spawn, and it's you know, oh Rob Layfield, that's that's a can of worms. Um, <laughs> is he not? Are you sure? It's no, he's not the first Who's black the superhero. First black superhero. The first black superhero. And was, Spawn's a bit of a villain, by well, the way. Well, like it was technically, I think Black Panther arrived before Spawn. Um, Did Sam, he? Yeah, Sam Wilson. Yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, that's the other thing too. It's really interesting. Like the the most major, you know, black character in comics. Mm-hmm. 
American comics is not American. Yeah, that's interesting. And okay. it comes from a created country, which is Pan-African, and is essentially a, a, like a, a kind of a... There's some comedy in that it's the only Mm. the first black superhero is from a created country. Yeah, and like and they're not (laughs) the main thing is they're not American, but they work for America because they work with the Avengers to save the world, a la America. Mm -hmm. They often put their duty to their nation as a king behind and say, I've got a duty to the world's the hero. Um, however, like you're just saving America every time. Like, there's a shit ton happening next door, mate. <laughs> you should probably be looking at that. Like, yeah, yeah. just, you know, a, a few buildings in New York being smashed every five years because somebody, you know, got drunk and pissed <laughs> off Loki is not exactly saving the world, mate. Like, it's, you've got some, you've got, you've got the amazing technology and you're not even using it. But, like, <laughs> it, it's interaction, I, I would, uh, I argue, is that uh, Wakanda is essentially a stand in to say to, it was for African American communities um, consuming comics, A, to be represented, to make sure that knew that they're not American. Mm. America is white. Mm. And that's what you have to remember. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's it's really hard because it's like oh, such an iconic character and there's, there's so many things there. But also I, I think that when you started having um, African-American characters, the first one was Sam Wilson. So both of these are Marvel. Marvel tends to be much faster at, at, at diversifying and being progressive, they dropped the comics code quite quickly comparatively. It started to tumble um, with, there's an issue of Spider-Man. I can't remember the name of the issue, um, but it was the first um, issue post the implementation of the code, which we to get back to in yes. a second, um, to be published for a major publishing house on a major comic book that didn't have the seal. It didn't meet the standards requirement because it depicted um, use of drugs. And after that, mm. people went for it um, and started, you know, going, hang on a minute, we can tell stories and the code is being a little bit touchy. Um, mm. And when you're trying to – they were trying to deal with, like, a huge rising drug issues. I believe it was in the 70s. Um, and uh, they'd been asked by the government to do, like, a drug awareness comic because it was consumed by so many people. And then when they put it to the code to have it things so they could – print it with the seal on it, which basically ensured that distributors would buy it. People yeah. wouldn't buy it without the seal because a lot of parents wouldn't let their kids have comics that didn't have the seal. Right. Um, and uh, they printed it without the seal and it sold. And people were like, okay, well, people will buy matter. our product without the seal yeah. now. That's broken. And then from there, it's power dwindled. It was originally inst- um, it was instated by um, the comics... Alliance magazine. So what is, what is the code? So the code was a set of rules that comic books had. What's to it called first? So it's called the comic the the comic code authority seal. Comics, code authority. comics yeah. Okay. 1952. 1952. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So they were a group of you know publishers and such that decided we're going to legislate this for ourselves before the government does, so that we can retain control. Yeah. And it came out of a lot of hearings that were heard based off. Um, Dr. Friedrich Wertham's book, um, Seduction of the Innocent, which claimed that comic books were creating child delinquency and they were evil and they taught really negative um, things. Mm-hmm. So one of the things was that they were hypersexual. Um, uh, Batman uh, was a, a gay figure um, and his relationship with uh, Dick Grayson and Robin was like, you know, pedestry. Mm. Um and that it wasn't, you know, 
good uh, Wonder Woman was a evil phallic woman. One of my favourite lines in that book. Uh, he refers to Wonder Woman as an evil, um, a terrifying, like, I don't think it was evil, but like a terrifying, like, phallic woman figure um, that hated men, uh, was probably a lesbian, Sorry, and just- taught girls to not be the delicate things that they should be and made men fear women. <laughs> what? Yeah, like it was it's and like some of his like critique in there um in terms of like hypersexualization of characters, you, you know, alluding to to sex and romance. Like there is some stuff that you now look at comic books now and you go, mm, "Maybe he was onto something." Like when Wonder Woman's walking around with breasts bigger than her head, um in a in a top that definitively could not support that. Boys would be and like, being oh, like, yeah, Wonder Woman, yeah. But, like, essentially, but that's what it's done. And, like, when you raise these issues and say, like, how are women supposed to feel comfortable picking up a comic book cover yeah. um, and, and reading these stories if the front of these books look like porn mm. and they look like porn that's directly telling them how they should look? They're, they're, yep. it's, you know, it's giving men what they desire and telling women that they're not living up to that and that's what they should be. Um, but it's, it's look, weird look, that it's hitting men at a particular chord. So then there's a mass well, reaction. Then they, they know a that'll trickle down. As well. And like we had, you know, reaction. much like there was, you know, um, Gamergate. Yeah. Um, there's been Comics Gate, and it's still ongoing. And it's, you know, um, Comics Gate, like yeah. Pizza Gate type. Is this conspiracy? No, it's no, it's, it's more. It's no. Gate on the end of any scandal. So essentially, right. what what this okay. one has been okay. has been. Um, sort of like the continued attack particularly on women creators um, for speaking up about issues in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, be that, you know, sexual harassment. There's been a huge number of scandals like post Me Too with like, you know, big, big names um, being like basically called out for sexual harassment in the workplace, targeting young artists, um, you know, using kind of sex as a way to be like, hey, you know, you come here and I will make sure that you can work again. Mm-hmm. And it's like really dodgy stuff as well as like a whole bunch of like Twitter and internet stuff where people just like going for sending death threats to female creators, uh, genderqueer creators, um, uh, creators of colour, like be they artists or writers or just people who review things even are getting like pulled into this, anyone working in those industries. And it's been like kind of the backlash has been argued that, well, why are we worried about diversifying our market and our stories if it's, you know, traditionally like middle class white guys who buy them and mm-hmm. they like them mm-hmm. and they're the ones spending the money and if you don't like it, why don't you buy more? Mm. Um, and I think that that's a, a, a big thing is this back and forth and also how comics are distributed. They go to a distributing house and then they base their model for renewing books based on pre-sale numbers. Okay. So they sell the books to stores. So it's up to the stores who buy them um, and that's what they base their thing on is what's, what, what book stores pre-order right. and so a lot of you know artists uh you know new books books that feature you know diverse casts and characters that aren't just your mainstream batman spider-man superman etc um they won't get bored as much because people don't know if it's going to sell or not and because they don't take into account trade sales which is where they collect the issues together and they don't take into account digital sales you get a really distorted view because it's only people basically who is do it, pre-order, way, and it's a really way expensive way. It is. It's the the distributors have a monopoly, so it's a diamond distributions. But you also have um, a monopoly of um, 
content based on people who can afford to buy single issues. Like mm-hmm. single issues in Australia are about eight bucks. Right. And it's twenty for twenty dollars for a new trade that has six issues in it. You save a lot of money by buying trades. So if you're watching your money, women tend to dominantly buy and trade because one, you can get it generally at a normal bookstore. Um, a mm-hmm. lot of comic book stores are still kind of considered a little bit. You know, there are some great ones. Um, shout out to King's Comics, which is <laughs> a place like no, it's like, seriously. Um, uh, Siobhan, who works there, she runs a um a women's comic book club, which is how I kind of started reading more yeah um comics as well. Um, and make sure like those spaces are really open to everybody. Um, and like a lot of places are doing that and taking that on because there's a huge market there. Like, you know, you, when you when you make your your sort of your business model exclusionary to 50% of the population, you're not making as much money as you could. It's mm. just ineffic- inefficient and ineffective. Have you you know you know that stuff on mm. YouTube where you now see uh, children's cartoons and they go over it and put some dark Oh, I've heard about that. I don't really know anything about it. Is that similar to... Elsa Gate? Is that what it is? Yeah. Elsa Gate. So, for example, is that that on similar level where the comic books, they get you, they propaganda something at a young age and you develop it through life and it comes through existence? Is Is that a similar way of... Power is that, it? or is that I just have a no flood? Idea what you're talking about on that one, like so flood to the kids' market. Same well, way, that, oh, no, okay. So, same like, way okay, the comic so the, books yeah, is, yeah. Is, is this? Well, I, I think in the, a lot of those ones where people like putting the dark shit on top of things and making them distorted, that's just people kind of you know doing their own thing. And children's um, media is easy. Like uh, you would, say, Disney is a huge no, there's, cultural there's, monopoly. There's like channels with millions of subscribers, so it's mm. not like YouTube can't just take it down oh no but like they shouldn't necessarily take it down anyway but i'm the thing what's the elsa gate thing i don't know what that is so it's a series of maybe tens of thousands of videos and it's typically generated by computer you have Mm. elsa from frozen you have spider-man you have the hulk but you also have figures like stalin and hitler appearing in these kids videos and they do innocuous things like brush their teeth or they may be drinking acid it's just completely randomly generated, but there's thousands of these videos being produced per day, mm. and there's hundreds of millions of hours of content. And the thing is that these because the algorithm just picks up the key characters, it inserts them into lists that exactly. for people that obviously are very young. And so the parents sit the kids mm. down and they'll put something nice and on, then and roll, then it will roll, roll on directly onto that. Well, I think that, that just that just comes down to you know YouTube needing to be better with their algorithms and maybe setting things that you know like i know that they have like kids channels like surely you would just say that in order to be on the kids channel you just need it needs to be creative like it needs to be controlled content that's the problem is that these look and feel like kids channels Mm. as they get under the radar yeah and it's only at the end that there may be you know three minutes of non-stop screaming yeah and then but the thing is that there's so many videos that youtube can't that yeah well like there's but this is a thing that we're having with social media as well is that we have very little control of content in general of what people have access to consume hence you know fake news fears 
um, you know, things like, you know, people handing over details on every single app because it's just so normalized now. Um, that's a whole other kettle of fish. I mean, what I what I look at in terms of comics is more less like I don't think that that's trying to indoctrinate anyone into any sort of thing. It's just it's essentially just there to like freak people out and to be weird. Um, but it's got no. I wouldn't put that as like a structural like power dynamic like, thing. You wouldn't no. link it together with comic. So in the sense, no, but that like I, I don't think that com- like comic books are okay. Very no, different. They're, they, no, they're completely they're, different. The content but is what very I'm saying, controlled. But what I'm saying is that. In the comic book sense, mm-hmm. uh, it's a way it's, it's of still coaching holding behavior. power it's, and in yeah. coaching the particular behaviors of um, what they wear, how how they control white America, I mean, yeah, and all, 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 all that. things so like that. Um, I just I think the links are different. Is, it's it's very different in okay. terms of what they're trying to do. Yeah. So one is content that is very much sitting with the status quo. It's making sure that uh, these things are really kind of like contained mm-hmm. um, and making sure that the messages are clear, repetitive. It's, you know, the same sort of issue happens again and again and again. Um, this other thing, this Elsa Gate stuff, that's more shock value. Mm-hmm. It's not about... Um, it's more learning of a conspiracy behaviors. situation yeah. where I the, think, w- rather than a... Well, I, 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 wouldn't, I don't even think it's a conspiracy situation. I think it's just genuinely people being like, how do we look at the algorithm? It's just, mm, you know, right. I, I just think it's, it's dumb. Yeah. I mean, like, it's, it's, I don't think it's trying to, you know, uproot power. I don't think it's trying to change, challenge anything. I think it's just trying to scare kids, which is just kind of a dick move. Dick move, yeah. Yeah, it's, just, it's, it's basically a dick move. That's about it. <laughs> um, what I do think in terms of like establishing um, power and, and, and reinforcing ideas um, in terms of comic books is that it's not just comic books. It's obviously all the media we consume. I use comic books as an example in this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think like, you know, the way we consume media and the fact that you know, it's nothing wrong with them. It's about whether you're going to be critical of the things you consume or not, whether you're going to actually go to the work. And then that comes down to like um, the work of Adorno, whose name, first name I've forgotten. He did also work, um, it's the, what are they called? Was it Lewis? No, Arthur. no, no, it was, uh, um, Don't give me yeah. Adorno. <laughs> so Adorno, he's a philosopher. Um, the, yes. So, Theo Adorno. You know what? Got he, it straight away. Yeah. Out of also, nowhere. Yeah. Killing it over there. Also worked <laughs> um, worked with um, Horkheimer. I think he was a Friedrich. Yeah. I'm going to say he was. Sounds like the Friedrich. Come on, Horkheimer. That's a great laugh. And um, uh, Walter Benjamin. And uh, H. Oh, fuck, don't ask the dyslexic. So whilst, whilst... Yeah. Whilst so like their work it looks at... Um, very much how we consume media and what is given to us and that when we don't when we when we use it to just relax and turn off mm-hmm. that's when it has the most power so adorno thought that disney was the most dangerous man in the world yes i because heard this as well. of the uh, amount immense power that disney has in terms of formulating uh, people's earliest moral codes values belief systems because that's so easily and so readily and so massively consumed on a global scale. Disney put, redoes the songs and all of its films into the language that it's being done in. You have, you know, every Disney song you've ever heard, if it was put out in a in a country, it there is a version of that song in that language. In that country. In that country. Mm. You, these people are consuming media in their 
own languages, their own things. It's universalized. It is an empire of imagination of extreme power. And that's the sort Which of thing that embeds. they just bought Fox. Yeah. Like, like, well, they, they own Marvel in terms of the cinematic universes. Mm. Um, they have sports channels. Like Disney is possibly, I think, the largest company. The most company. powerful. It's, oh, than, it's the, yeah. It is the most powerful media company in the world. It essentially controls the first set of values that almost every child on the planet will believe. And that's a hundred. Uh, I a hundred percent agree there. And now that they've bought out Fox, is just what what can't they do at the minute? And the the point that I really wanted to get to just before I let you go, mm. it was that you touched on it. Mm. Is that um, when people are just watching something mm. and they're just in in. Because majority of people yeah. do it. Yeah, they, well, they we get all do. Home like, well, you've got to relax. relax. Like, I and do it. I, no one doesn't switch off and just absorb yeah, information. Yeah, and you said that that's when they're at their most vulnerable. And just yeah, elaborate on that when and we, then I'll when let When we you don't go. think about what we're consuming and how we're consuming it and what its motivations are and what it might be saying, we're essentially um, not holding up a, a criticism uh, by not being critical of things. Uh, we are being tacitly complicit with whatever they teach us mm-hmm. and we're not necessarily aware of it. Mm. And But on the other hand, to be constantly on is exhausting and it really can only be done by people who have time and money. Otherwise, when you're just like working day in, day out, like, you know, you come home from work, you want to switch off, you chuck on, you know, I've been watching Veronica Mars. Um, mm-hmm. and prep, it's been great. But I just <laughs> jump, I just like, you know, to hop home, I'm I'm done with the day. I'm done with work. I chuck that on. Yeah, and I don't think about it. I don't analyze yeah. it. I don't criticize everything I do. Or I read comics. I love comics. I still read them. I still love them. I still have huge problems with them. Mm. Um, but escapism is necessary when you have a drudginess life where you know if most of us are doing jobs that pretty much don't mean much. Mm-hmm. Like we feel like we can get away with like not doing much, and that's just the reality of the world that we work in. And that alienation from production. Um, that alienation from, you know, our place in the world, it means that, you know, switching off is the only time we get a break. It's freedom. It's like a relaxing thing. And, you know, we're, we're essentially I would argue that most of us are stuck in a cycle of, you know, uh, being uh, isolated from labor, people, society, mm-hmm. um, then consuming media that reinforces that that is normal, that is right, that is good, let's not challenge it. Mm. And because you, you're consuming that when you're relaxing, it that just reinforces that you are the same as everybody else. Everything's fine. This is how it goes. And that's the most and dangerous. That's where the, but then that's where power is established and that is cultural hegemony. It's the idea that the information that we consume is designed to stop us challenging systems of power. Perfect. That's amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much. Julia Robbins, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you.